Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where we saddle up and ride through all sorts of educational issues. And today we have a, a kind of different ride. We're going to ride, well, Maya's gone, and we're going to ride with, with, with a cowboy from up north in Montana. We're going to ride with Mr. Kelly Kinsey. How are you doing out there, Kelly? I'm good. I'm ready to ride. Ah, just like a true Montanan right there. And, and Kelly, just give our listeners a quick, you know, let, let them know where your horse resides at. What, what, what your position is up there in Montana. Sure. My name is Kelly Kinsey. I'm a, I'm a principal at Lockwood Intermediate School. It's a grades three through five, and it's uh, located just east of Billings. It would be just a, a small town adjoining Billings, Montana. We have a really important, I mean, you throw up education at all right now in the news on, on Google or any search engine, you're going to get information about teacher shortages and or the mental health crisis that is is facing education. So we're, we're going to touch on that topic in, in kind of an interesting way. Lockwood sits pretty close to a major well, a major metropolitan area as far as Wyoming and Montana are concerned, much like Cheyenne. And a, definitely a place where, is it safe to say, you know, 10 years ago, even maybe eight, seven years ago, uh, hiring a teacher or finding a teacher would be relatively simple. You'd have lots of applicants. Is that is that safe to say, Kelly? Yeah, you know, a lot's changed around here, but I mean, I've been here for 10 years and we've went from probably having 20, 30, 40 applicants per teacher to we might have three or four at this time. When you have a teacher retire and or that lack of people applying, I mean, Billings is a good place. Montana is a good place. I mean, the West is a good place. What are you getting from staff that's leaving? Well, um, James, we've had since I've been in this intermediate school we've we had some turnover to begin with last year I only had two teachers um, the years before that we had people that um, retired or left the profession to go elsewhere the last two teachers that had left they pretty much just said they had too much to do it was too much stress there was too many behaviors uh, not enough parent support things that they wanted to do outside of education other than dealing with all the things that they had to at that time. Well, I think that echoes, I mean, honestly, it, we can ask this question a lot and, and there's no shocking surprise to the answers that we're hearing. I mean, it, it, it's similar that there is a lot of stress and, and parents support and, and how that translates to a school board or just calling home or dealing with the, behavior, all those pieces. So let's shift this. And when we talk about the mental health of teachers, but when you start thinking about maybe what you're doing or what you're seeing up there, how, how, how are you trying to address that? So the teachers you have don't take that same path. Well, I, I think uh, a lot of the things that we changed in the last couple of years were focused solely on students, families, and the community. Um, the, the community that I am in is uh, pretty high poverty, low social economically, need a lot of resources. So I think the biggest thing that we did to help ourselves and help the teachers retain teachers 
was we put a lot of money into mental health for students and parents. Well, one of the things that we did was we created a family support center. Um, that support center is open nightly, four to seven. Uh, we did the four to seven p.m. strategically so that parents historically would be able to come in after work or after school hours. We staff it with some teachers and counselors, but we do have a family advocate that staffs that. Um, that's really broken down some barriers in parents not wanting the help or not accepting the help. It's pretty much a, a place where they just come and and tell us what kind of obstacles they have at home or things that they're having um, problems with at school. And we just work through resources with them, interventions. Um, we have a lot of free resources, coaching for parents. Uh, we have what's called a parent portal, and that is um, mental health sessions. Those are all free. Our district pays for so many of those sessions for families or for students. That's a pretty big part of it. Uh, we also have a hotline that goes with that family support center. Uh, we have people staffing that so that anytime people have a problem, say they're having problems, they don't have food or they don't have a job or they don't have clothing for their kids, they can come in and do that. It's a lot more comfortable for us in that time area or things to talk to them about how we can do interventions at school with their child. So I know that our listeners out there are going to be, I mean, what a, a, the family support center sounds like an awesome, awesome piece. And, and Montana and Wyoming are, are unique. Uh, we're different in how schools are funded and, and different pieces. But how, how does your district, you said the district pays for some of those free pieces for family, but overall, how's the district funding this? Well, the idea, James, came about through CARES money through COVID money, the extra COVID money that we had. And we're supporting that for three years with that money. We really sat down and strategically planned what we were doing. You know, we didn't, um, we had a lot of money with it. We didn't waste a lot of money and we tried to make it so that I was going to help some of our mental health issues, but so that I was going to last for several years and we just didn't blow it all right away. Um, a lot of it's coming from that. Some of it's coming from grants uh, and or partnerships uh, that we have with um, businesses or places around Yellowstone County. So, I mean, in, in all fairness, that sounds it's not taking money in a sense. It's really not taking money out of classroom or out of school budgets or that. It's it's really I mean, I, I love the partnerships that the grants give you an opportunity, but it, but it's. It's building, I mean, I would take it as it's truly building on community support to build the community. It is. Um, you know, our, our school board was all in on this. This was a, an idea that hatched from our counselors and from our superintendent. Uh, our board was uh, well behind it, um, but they did want to make sure that, just like you said, that it wasn't coming from a general fund uh, budget standpoint where we we're taking money out of classrooms or from teachers or from teacher aides or resources of that nature. And so with that, you're in year two of this or year three of, of the Family Support Center? This would be two years of it. How's your district uh, judging its success? So um, 
kind of going back a little bit, the referrals to that center, we you can just drop by if you want. But we do have each one of our schools, which we have four schools here. We have a pre-K through two. We have a three through five. We have a six through seven. And then we have a fully staffed high school with all four classes starting this year. Counselors, teachers, administrators uh, refer families to it, uh, maybe based on behaviors or attendance, or there, there's a couple other things. Um, maybe we just hear through a teacher that they're talking to a parent or a child that says that, that they're having trouble at home. So we do a lot of referrals and they... Uh, also, when they're in there, they'll call out, invite them in, or set up an appointment with them. We document all that, um, and then we trace back to kids that we have seen, families that we had seen, and uh, along with that, we do a, a flag indicator of their attendance, uh, their academics, and behaviors throughout the years with it. Well, that I mean, that's uh, so. I mean, that is one of those pieces we we oftentimes in education throw money throw ideas at things and then we don't really know well you know four or five six years down the road we go well was it successful well we're not sure but it definitely sounds like you guys have a plan in place to kind of keep evaluating that and sell it more to to your community but so now i'm, I'm going to shift this over and we talked a lot about parents and, and students and and we know that if, if parents and students are if students are better in school all that then that does make teachers job a little less stressful in, in general but there's other pieces to what makes teachers' jobs stressful. So what are some things maybe you guys are doing or that you, you're you watching up there that schools are doing for teacher mental health or, or staff mental health? Sure. This year and last year, I, I took a real hard look at um, making sure our teachers had a lot more support, a lot more interventions if they're having problems. A lot better mentoring and coaching. So a couple of those things are um, we're a really strong PLC school. Um, I get our grade levels are really good at relying on each other, bouncing ideas off each other, helping each other with uh, curriculum resources, assessments, behavioral interventions, um, things like that, bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, that's that's one of the things that we do. The other thing that we do is is we bring in our new staff and our second year staff uh, a few days early. They have an extended contract where they come in and um, they talk about champs in the classroom, uh, classroom management. Um, they have a coach either that's a one-on-one -on -one coach with them that's from our district or we do virtual coaching um, with a place called Better Lesson. They all have somebody, especially if they're first or second year. Sometimes it's even somebody who's even fifth, sixth, even on up through whatever, 20 years. They'll do that Better Lesson where it's uh, a virtual coach. And, and it's not something where it's an additional. It's just things to troubleshoot, to aid them in teaching, to aid them in stressors that they might be having in their life or um, in their professional or personal life. Well, it's funny. I, I don't know what your, I'll turn it back over to you. And just like when you think about the age of your staff, as far as not age, but what is the general consensus of like, you've got a couple of teachers that are in their first or second. How many teachers do you see in that? Because I know uh, in the building I'm in, we, we see a, a fair amount of new teachers. And 
in particular, I, I have a new teacher just, just teaching down the hall for me. And we were having a conversation today, uh, kind of leading into this, this podcast. And I said, you know, one thing I'll tell you as a new teacher, you know, those personal days, because we're a district that has personal days. We don't have sick or, you know, uh, some mix of them. We have, they get their personal days on their contract. I said, don't save those. Uh, if, if you need to, you're going home to see your family or you're doing something, take the extra day. You know what? We will, the school will survive. And, and those days for you, you, you take them. And, and it was funny. The only reason I bring that up is she said, so she's fresh out of college, all of these things. And she said, not one professor, nobody has ever said that to her. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you the only profession that somehow badge of honor is I ended my career with 200 personal days and I missed out on all these things and I was sick and all that. Take those days. So when you look at your staff, how, how many new teachers you have? And is there is there those kind of a piece of advice that you throw out to your staff? James, I have more non-tenured staff, a majority non-tenured staff than I have tenured staff, which which wasn't the case five, six years ago when I when I moved here. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly something that I say to my staff when they get here. You know, you have so many we have discretionary days. They're not you can use them for however you want. Sometimes you need those days. You need you need to be able to do things. And I think more than that, um, we're really good at touching base with people. And I tell people, are you exhausted every day? If you are exhausted every day and you just go home and stare at the wall, we, we got to change that. We got to figure out a way that you have energy throughout the year. Because if you're only good uh, through October or November and you're worn out the rest of the time, you know, you're not going to be effective for your students, for yourself, for your teammates, anything like that. So, yeah, we do. We talk about the discretionary days and taking mental health days and 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 things like that. Yeah, that's such a it's such an interesting thing to think about when when we, we think about educators leaving the classroom. And it is I mean, we are unique. And that is the challenge that when we exit and, and I'm sure in Lockwood and, and in Billings in general up there, like the rest of the nation, we're facing sub shortages as well. So then there becomes this guilty cycle of, well, I need to take a day for myself, but who's going to cover my class? I have to get a sub. Then am I going to be able to build all the lesson plan? And, and there's all this work. And it's unique because if you look at it compared to, I, I don't know, compared to a, a professional that that has a four-year or a master's or, or any of those type of deal, a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer, they cancel their schedule. Um, they'll make that work up, you know, a couple days later or a week later or whatever, but they cancel their schedule. They don't create more work for them just to be gone. And so that's such an interesting, I, I, and I don't know the solution to that. How, how maybe, maybe you have a, a wonderful idea or you've seen some staff do some things up there to create it so that when you do have to be gone, it isn't that guilty, more work, man, it's just, I might as well just be here. Well, yeah, I mean, James, I think one thing in this, it wasn't my idea at all, but our grade levels work so close and cover each other so much that teachers usually don't feel guilty about it because they know that their teammates will cover them and they will do the same for their teammates as far as the activities. Everybody's doing the same resource um, or curriculum most days. They, they usually have a pretty good plan of what each other's doing and they're on the same pace 
as each other so they can cover for each other. They know their set standards that they're going through per week, per month, per trimester. You know, another thing too, and this might be a little bit off, but uh, we did, we, we spent money probably for the last three years. We hire a full-time sub for each building. Now we've diminished that to each two buildings have a full-time sub. Um, so they know that we always have somebody that's on standby to do that. Uh, we also uh, put in the contracts that they could sub for other teachers during their prep or lunchtime um, and get paid for uh, a part of their day for subbing for that. I think that's helped a little bit. But I think the big thing is, is just them as grade level of how closely they work and help each other to know that if they miss a day, I think they're going to be okay. That, that team approach that it's, you know, we all carry the weight and then, yeah, it doesn't create that, which I, I mean, I, I know Kelly in your background, you, you were a high school teacher and, and teaching at, at that level that, I, you know, sometimes we lose the team approach middle school and high school uh, teachers become their own silo and then that becomes a challenge there that I'm not, I mean, I, the full-time sub definitely helps, but any other strategies uh, that you, you, you see up there? You know, we, we have a little bit different approach to subs too. We give them different incentives of free lunch. Uh, we do a lot of training with them. Uh, our administrators and counselors are really good at making sure we check on those subs and making sure they have every possible thing that they need. Um, we've been able to retain quite a few of our subs that we've had for years are steadies and uh, are pretty steady. They take um, most of our jobs. You know, we're not usually running into at our level, that's K through five. We usually don't have a problem with filling jobs, things like that. And, um, you know, we, we haven't had a whole lot of attendance issues lately um, with, with our school either. So you threw out there that you guys have some sub incentives. So I've got to, I've got to just, what, what do, what do some of those incentives look like just for some of our listeners out there to think about? Well, one thing that we do is, is the free lunch. I mean, that that's one thing, but a free lunch is nice uh, for however it goes. Uh, we include all of our subs in um, some of our training specifically are ones that are full-time subs. They have, they get contracts after so many days if they're certified in an area they would get a teaching contract if they go so many days other things we do you know we we train them beforehand we pay them for training we pay them throughout the year for specific days if they're if they if we have professional development during eight days we'll have subs come in and we'll pay them uh, to get more training in instruction or classroom management or supervision or or whatever that is uh, we also have incentives for if they work so many days in a row, uh, they get more money. If they work so many days in a year, they get so much more money too. So those are just additional things that we do. I mean, all those sound, I mean, obviously we all, we all want more money. And, and so the number of days give them a chance to be around. But I, I think in, in a sense, uh, I think our listeners and I think you guys have, have highlighted a, a really good point, supporting those subs. If subs walk into the building and, they walk out at the end of the day and they sign a timesheet and that's the two adults they've seen the whole time in the building. They're, they're, they're just almost like a teacher. You're going to quickly feel like, wow, um, this is maybe not where I need to be. But 
You know, this is we we saddle up and we ride and we talk about these things. And so we've got a Montana Wyoming perspective, and it's been fast and curious. And we've already the horse is already tired. And I just want to send out uh, a cowboy Ed thank you to to Mr. Kelly Kinsey for joining us uh, from Montana. Thank you, Kelly. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. I'd I'd be up for doing it anytime. That sounds awesome. Maybe we could do, maybe this is, we're going to talk out loud for a second. Maybe we could get a group of, maybe a group of students from Montana, a group of students from Wyoming, because those are always the best conversation when we mix those students. Who knows what might happen in the future on Cowboy Ed Pod. But with that, it's time to saddle up and end this ride. And we're going to head them up, move them on, move them on, head them up, head them up, move them on. Cowboy Ed on the run.